listening to One in Ten from National Children's Alliance. I'm Teresa Wezar, your host. Join us as we engage in one-on-one conversations with the brightest minds in science, medicine, faith, communications, and the law. We'll discuss the path forward to solve the greatest challenge one in ten of our children face, child abuse. Today's episode is a bit of bonus content for you. Adverse childhood experiences, also known as ACEs, can have lifelong effects. But does that mean we should screen everyone for ACEs? Recently, I spoke to Dr. David Finkelhor from the Crimes Against Children Research Center and the University of New Hampshire about the change in rates of abuse and neglect over time. If you listen to that episode, called Bad News is a Story, Good News is a Statistic, what you didn't hear was the conversation we had about the idea of universal screening for ACEs. Would such screening actually help? If not, what would? We spoke for just a few minutes on the topic, but I think you'll find it very interesting. Especially in CACs, there's been this debate about whether or not to do some form of universal screening um, for ACEs. And so I want to give you the opportunity to just talk a little bit about your thoughts about that. So um, the whole conceptual framework that we call ACEs has been a very important and positive one for the field. And I think has convinced a lot of people, a lot of influential people, and particularly people in the Uh, public health and medical field that childhood adversities do have long-lasting effects and that in order to improve health and improve lives in general, um, preventing them and uh, remediating them can provide tremendous benefits. And so there are a lot of people who are trying to find ways to utilize this uh, concept to you know, prove what it is that they're doing. And I think that that's, a, that's great that we should be thinking about it. One of the big ideas that's come out is that we should just start screening people for these adversities and that it may, may disclose difficulties that we can provide help for and then actually uh, prevent short circuit the kinds of negative effects that they would have. Now, I think the idea of screening is is really valuable one here, but there are a lot of questions that still don't have answers that I think we need to get answers to before we start a systematic screening uh, regime. Uh, We really have to figure out better what exactly we should screen for and what we should do when we find out we're encountering somebody who has had some of these adversities. The research on screening in general shows that screening works best when you have an evidence-based treatment for or remedy for the thing that you're screening, that you know exactly how to screen for, you have a good tool for obtaining that information, uh, and that you've kind of worked out the kinks in the system so that you know how to get from the screen to the remedy. But um, that's not true with the ACEs yet. Uh, we don't know which ACEs to screen for exactly. You know, there are a bunch of different lists out there. Should we screen for divorce, which is so common? 
Should we screen for you know parental incarceration? Should we screen for um, you know chronic disease? What what there there you know if you make a list you can find fifty or sixty potentially serious adversities that can affect children. Um, but then some of them we have responses to. So you know CACs are pretty good at dealing with backgrounds and histories of sexual abuse and know how to investigate and what to do about them. But there are lots of things that we, we don't really know exactly what we should be doing, or we have very um, questionable history uh, experiences of finding something effective in dealing with them. So, um, you know, parental incarceration is one. We don't really know exactly what to do. Some people are suggesting that really what we should be screening for are not the adversities themselves, but the residues of the adversities, the impact of the adversities, because we have much more specific interventions that are tied to these residues. So if somebody has an incarcerated parent or has experienced uh, physical abuse or has lost a loved one, um, if it's negatively affecting them, we should see that in terms of post-traumatic symptoms or depression or anxiety or behavioral control issues or conflict with other family members. And those are all things that we actually have good treatments for. We have treatments for childhood depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, family conflict. And so maybe we don't actually need to screen for the adversity itself that we just screen for these symptoms. And that's a, that's a whole other approach. Um, so answering the question of what's, what we should be screening for is one big issue. And then knowing whether we have in place the effective uh, remedies. You know, there, there are a lot of places where the behavioral health system is already tremendously overtaxed. What is it going to mean if we screen a whole bunch of people encounter a whole lot, lot more cases, ones going back pretty far in family history, for example, then start making referrals. Are we going to completely overburden behavioral health providers uh, with new cases that maybe aren't as serious as the kinds of cases that uh, you know, they are currently seeing because they were, more, they were resulting in more flagrant kinds of problems that brought people into treatment. Um, and so, figuring out how to build up the uh, resource in a particular area, and then making sure that some um, system is in place for prioritizing among them. These are all important preconditions for setting up any kind of a screening system. There's just a lot, we, ha we have a lot of questions we have to answer before we go forward with this, I think. Well, and it seems too that I think there's the issue of, have you had this experience and then there's the question of how you're functioning in the world today, right? And those two things may exactly. not directly align because, you know, you, you know people and I know people and others do because they have tremendous community support, because they have family support, because they have a faith community support or other things, other mediating factors, I guess I'm saying. You know, it doesn't tell a full story about them to simply know what they've experienced. So I think that's a really interesting point that you're making. The other thing that well, you were saying was kind of uh, cute to me because I think you and I sat in on the same uh, research um, 
session that Ben Saunders and Lucy Berliner did at the San Diego conference. And one of the studies, and I can't remember which one of them covered it, but I found it so interesting because it wasn't directly on ACEs. And it essentially was indicating that what is most demoralizing to someone and what most adversely affects them is when you've identified what the problem is and there's no intervention that's provided to them. And I just thought that pertains to so much of our work, right? That, you know, just what you're saying, that there has to be some prepared intervention or what we're really identifying for people is something that they might should feel despair about, which is not really helpful. Yeah. I mean, our, our behavioral health system for children is very under-resourced right now. And um, so that's a, that itself is a priority. And I actually think when I hear people say we're going to spend a lot of money, as we are in California, to train everybody to do screening, I'd say, well, use that money to build out the behavioral uh, health resources that you've got. Start there. That would be my priority. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, there, there, you know, there are some other problems. I mean, I think an illustration of this, and some people who've been in the field for a while may remember this. I mean, I think there was a time when people thought that discovering histories of sexual abuse or other kinds of maltreatment were kind of the um, holy grail in, in helping people. And you, you'd get somebody who would come in and say, you know, I'm not getting along with my husband. And they would then be asked the question, well, were you sexually abused as a child? And Oh, yes. Well, let's work on that. Um, but <laughs> they wanted to work on the concept yeah. of their husband. You can have that, you know, you can, you can have a screening that actually um, uh, raises a lot of what are actually in the end distracting uh, issues that don't necessarily help in the uh, improvement of somebody's condition. This has been really helpful. And uh, I just found that fascinating because it hasn't bothered me, honestly, David, this sort of rush to, you know, let's just, for every kid who comes into the CAC, fortunately, we don't have a lot of people doing this, but, you know, let's let's do an ACES screen of them and their parents and all of that. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do with that information? Because we're already doing trauma assessments. And, you know, that's guiding treatment. And we have treatments that are effective that align with that. And so, yes. you know, what is additive, exactly. essentially, in terms of doing an ACEs screening on top of that? Yes, exactly. That's, that's my point entirely. Great. Well, thank you, David. Stay safe, too, and healthy. Okay. We'll, we'll try. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to One in Ten. If you like this episode, tune in for our next episode when we'll talk to professors Deborah Poole and Jason Dickinson about their research into teleforensic interviews. In the meantime, you can find us on Facebook at One in 10 Podcast. And for more information about National Children's Alliance and the work of children's advocacy centers, visit our website at www.nationalchildrensalliance.org.